Hi, this is Alina and Megan, and you're listening to Move Your Brain, Move Your Body podcast, where we dive into all things health, wellness, and fitness. We are two certified athletic trainers, personal trainers, and nutrition coaches who met and graduated together from the University of Arkansas. And we want to do this podcast to spread our joy about treating our bodies well through nutrition, exercise, and knowledge. Welcome to Move Your Brain, Move Your Body podcast. Today we have a different sort of episode where we actually interviewed two people. So we have Rua Gilna on our podcast today and Boris Dunkositz. I can't say his last name because it's difficult. So I hope you forgive me for that. Rua has been in fitness for over 16 years and he has been doing personal training, lecturing, and taking millions of courses. He helps people from the international level athletes to even just average Joes. He was working on the corporate side, but he actually prefers working one-on-one with people, especially chronically injured. His background is in gymnastics, martial arts, and breakdancing. He really helps people currently in pain and transitioning them back into high levels of performance. He himself has had some interesting traumatic brain injuries and joint injuries himself from all his athletics, which has inspired him to find this route within fitness. Boris, who I actually worked with as a coworker or both as independent contractors in the same facility, is awesome. I I know him pretty well. He is originally from Croatia. And I should mention that Rua is also from Ireland. So the accents on this podcast are just fantastic. But Boris is originally from Croatia, and he actually played professional and semi-professional and college basketball for over 15 years. He currently works in Manhattan, and he's been involved with Postural Restoration Institute for the last five years. He, both him and Rua incorporate PRI um, to help their clients. Boris specifically has been working with youth athletics and gen pop clients, and he also helps his clients get out of pain and then achieve peak performance through the objective testing and programming from PRI. They are both so brilliant and we are just so excited to have these two phenomenal brains on our show today to share with you. So we hope you enjoy this episode. So welcome today to Move Your Brain, Move Your Body podcast. We have a special episode where we have two awesome people on the show today. We have Rua and we have Boris. And what's really cool about this is nobody's really going to understand that much because you guys are from two different places. Boris, you're from Croatia. Rua, you're from Ireland, right? Yeah, from Dublin. Yeah. And so we got a lot of accents going on. So we'll first just start off with Rua. Why don't you give us a little of your background and then Boris, you can go from there. Sure. I've been in fitness for almost 16 years now, dating myself there. I've done everything from working with competitive athletes on the international level to managing kind of gyms, multi-million dollar gyms, chains of gyms, being the head of training departments and education departments. And I didn't like that part. (laughs) So I went back to work with individual people and kind of doing small group mentorships and that sort of stuff on the education side. My own personal sporting background, I used to be a competitive gymnast, martial artist, I did judo, taekwondo, two campus, way Thai, bare boxing, kickboxing, Ming Chuan Kung Fu, yeah, that sort of stuff. <laughs> Breakdancing and a bunch of other stuff as well. So uh, I like doing individual sports. There's a good chance of me getting hurt. 
which is probably a good segue into Boris, who's a team sports guy. So Boris, tell us a little bit about yourself. All right, so I'm originally from Croatia, played competitive basketball, professional, semi-professional, college basketball for, I don't know, over 10 years. Moved to New York City from like a city that's like 100,000 people to a city that's 20 million people to Union Square, you know how Union Square looks like. So it, it took a little time to, to get used to all of that. My first place where I worked was like corporate gym uh, crunch where I spent a couple of years. Thankfully, I had a really good mentors over there that kind of guided me in the right direction. After that, I managed the one little studio on uh, Lower East Side. And since then, I'm pretty much independent. Still training in New York City, but due to circumstances right now, I'm doing mostly uh, virtual. Right. Um, that's how we met as well. We met at the front square location. And uh, we had our recently had our bro anniversary. <laughs> yeah. Friends for five years, right? Yep. <laughs> so that Crunch Union Square is like, wasn't Kyle Dobbs there too? Yeah, I took over from Kyle. Kyle Dobbs, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kyle Dobbs was first, and then Rua came right after him. So I got to meet both of them. They're kind of both of my mentors, in, and, in a sense. And was Pat there too? It's like such a gem, yeah. this place. No. Okay. No, no, no. Okay. He wasn't. It's like any commercial gem. There's some absolute fucking rock stars in there. Yeah. Well. The other <laughs> yeah. We're just there because they live anywhere else to be. What are you doing right now? I mean... Rua, as far as how did you segue from kind of being at Crunch to doing what you're doing now? And could you go into a little bit more detail about how your, your philosophy of training people right now? And kind of how you Absolutely. When I, was, when I was working Crunch as a fitness manager, the expectations of hours were insane. Like, I don't know how it is now. It's been a couple of years. But back then, you were expecting to put in 70 to 75 hours minimum per week. Yeah, on a salary that did not support that, shall we say. <laughs> so... After that, I kind of took a six-month break. I took maybe one or two clients a day, and the way that I felt like did a lot of rock climbing every day. Just mm-hmm. playing the rock climbing gym, climbed, like four or five hours of climbing, get a client out better. And it was around that time, probably, I kind of got to muscle restorations too, PRI, that sort of stuff. That absolutely blew the lid off everything that I thought I knew and kind of crushed my ego. It kicked the absolute crap out of my ego and taught me that I knew nothing. And the it was, honestly, it was kind of the, the answer that I've been looking for because I've been taking dozens and dozens of certifications before that and most of them missed the mark. I was always left with as many questions afterwards as there was answers. Well, this will work for some people or this, you know, the, the things were, which were blatantly false or fallacious. Like, I'm not going to name any, any names, but there's a certain certificate I took which said, okay, you only really use the lap to get your arm overhead. That's, that's not what a lap does, but okay. This is sort of like inconsistency and ridiculousness I'm seeing a lot of these certifications, so I kind of went balls deep into PRI stuff and I've done 16 or 17 courses now in the last three or four years. So that's definitely heavily informed what I do now. A lot of what I do now is built around the basis of that, making sure people have the ability to get into the optimal range of motion that they should be able to get into. I'm not talking about doing mobility work or stretching or that, but I'm talking about can someone act or passively add the men can get them to actively add it. Can I get someone to be able to stand appropriately in that pressure? And then can it can do that in very simple context, like lying in your back, not doing much, or on an all four position. And then can I gradually incrementally bring them up to positions of, of significant load, keeping those same competencies? Because what I was seeing was 
But a lot of fitness is genuinely owes a huge debt to bodybuilding and powerlifting. There's no question. Bodybuilding, powerlifting is the roots of fitness. Go back to Eugene Sando back in the day. Like we have a huge debt to those two sports. But nothing that they do is applicable to the general population. Like fucking nothing. Like someone comes to me and says, I want to look better, I want to move better, but I'm in pain. I don't go, okay, great, let's get you powerlifting. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're laughing about it now, but that's how half of the industry, if not more, actually operates. They're like, great, we're going to put a big heavy bar on your back, have you deadlift, have you bench, huge arch. Oh, fuck, you're still on pain or you're more pain. It's weird. You can't run very well. That's odd. So for me, it's about avoiding that. It's about giving someone the best different options and then getting the load there and then just allowing them to start to become self-sufficient by building up a system where you recognize that there are simple archetypal positions that apply across the board. And then once you know competency in those positions, you don't have to ask me to do an exercise. You know how to do it just by looking at it. So self-sufficiency and longevity, I suppose, are my two things. We yeah. get jacked as hell and strong. In the meantime, that's fun too. Yeah, I love that because, I mean, I personally have never taken PRI, but I feel like we've interviewed so many PRI people. And I feel like a lot of the people that I'm kind of amidst on social media and all that are very PRI driven. And so I feel like I understand the basic concepts of it. But I think where a lot of people miss the mark is like going from those low level positional corrective exercises to like actually getting people strong and actually getting people the body composition results they want. Because yes, as much as we all should be moving better, which I completely agree with, I have a bodybuilding background and I think I've done a decent job of moving well within that because I learned at the same time as working a corrective exercise. And I think that's like not really very normal. And so I see a lot of people with really dysfunctional movement that are bodybuilders or powerlifters. But if we were to just mix in these concepts of like, understanding kind of our tendencies as human beings, but also just putting people in better positions where they can still be doing exercises that are get, going to get them strong and jacked as hell, as you said. I just think that hopefully is the direction that fitness is going because hopefully after, I, I really hope that this whole COVID thing is not just you know a distraction and sort of a crippling of our economy and our, of our healthcare system, but also a wake up call for people to that they need to start taking better care of themselves so that they have more resilience just as a population. And I think strength training is kind of where that's at, but people are going to run into walls when they get injured. Right. So having these, you know, corrective exercise and understanding of how the body should be moving is just so important. So I think it's amazing that you're doing things that way. Boris will tell you, I'll, I'll tell you actually, he was like my first, Personally, I ever used PRI with, and I was fucking terrible. <laughs> I was yeah, like, so, oh, I think we know what I'm doing. Uh, this, this is messy. You can take it. Yeah, the way I got into PRI was actually purely selfish reasons. It's like I had, you know, playing basketball. You're only hurt when you can't go. It's like, mm-hmm. if you can go, Alina could probably relate to that. It's mm-hmm. like when you're in, in a sport, it's like what they ask is like, does it hurt? Yeah, kind of, can you go? Yeah, you can go. So you go. And once you like, once you experience that many injuries, you're like, all right, what am I doing? What am I fucking doing wrong right now? Like, why is this not working? And everybody's told me to do it this way, and you're supposed to squat that way. So for me, it's like I'm working also with the youth athletes right now, and looking at them and the way they're being coached, it's the same thing I was coached, you know, 15, 20 years ago. But we know more now. So okay, I introduce these new concepts to them and. They're kids. They're adoptable as hell. They're like, you show them one exercise, you throw them, they apply it, and that's it. They're good. 
So it's not like you need to, I think they need way less coaching than people in their, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, because those mm -hmm. patterns are much, much, much stronger right now. And it's going to take them both neurologically and mechanically, orthopedically, it's going to take them way longer to get better. Like for the kids, much better. But again, how we coaching these kids is a problem, you know. I think you hit on something big there as well, Boris. They're being taught the same way you were 15, 20 years ago, the same way I learned. And then even on my, the certification courses you start off with, fucking garbage. Like, it's so outdated. And everybody that teaches these courses knows it's outdated. Like, yeah. you're, 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 getting, you're getting a good certification course. Honestly, you're better off just burning your cash for how useful they actually are in the practical world. Yeah, you're you're getting you're you're getting a kid to backspot. We have this in, in, in the industry. This there's this crazy relationship with back squats. Like I don't understand that. Why is that happening? And why everybody's so in love with those back squats? Uh, whatever. I'm not gonna get into that. But like you're teaching your kid a back squat and you making him squat so heavy and you're ex you're expecting that that's gonna translate to how he plays his sport. Like, I mean, it will if he plays powerlifting and nothing else. Right. Like, That's the only way it translates. It doesn't even transfer as much into Olympic lifting. Like a front squat transfers more into Olympic lifting than a back squat because you're just so extended. Oh. Just to play devil's advocate for a second, the only thing that it applies to is that you will get stronger to an, to an extent. Yep. Right? No, but you'll get stronger, that, but you Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. But it's not applicable to your sport at all. You're right. That's exactly that's Because, like, I have my CSCS, and everybody's like, oh, that's, like, you know, the pinnacle. Because yeah, it's, the, it's the pinnacle, honestly, because it requires a bachelor's degree before you can even try to get it. And yeah. so I understand that, and that's, like, what college strength coaches have. And I think it's important to have a standard, but, like, Pat Davidson actually posted something yesterday about how there should be, like, like a boards for personal trainers, and it should be, you know, decided I by – I saw that. Know, I don't know who it's decided by, honestly. Maybe like this is like an age-old dispute in training. Should there be a licensure? Should there be? And I've had this discussion with a bunch of physical therapists as well because the problem with licensure, the problem with the board, is that sets a standard code of practice, right? Which in theory is great because it raises the floor, but also lowers the ceiling. Anything that's new, anything that's innovative, anything that's actually not one hundred percent safe. I don't mean safe as in like someone's not gonna get hurt but nobody has a strong opinion about it. That's what becomes normal when you have licensure boards. It's not necessarily the things that work the best or the things that are the most efficacious, but it's the things that are the most accessible and most yeah. scalable. And, and research is dangerous. We're already so far behind the research and we're starting to make some headway. And there are trainers out there who argue, well, you know, the fitness industry is moving in the right direction. It is, but like at a fucking snail's pace, we're clambering and stumbling and falling and things like FMS, which I think most people don't use anymore, that was a great start and really paved the way for a lot of what we're doing now. Yeah. Things like the massive overhead squat, but the problem is some people still think those are the holy grail of movement. Like, yeah. who the fuck cares if you can overhead squat? Yeah. Like, who does that with a client? Especially yeah. a beginner client. That is so fucking irrelevant. And even then, if you can overhead squat, that, that's a great thing. Fantastic. Round of applause. Who the fuck wants to? Yeah. Like, <laughs> why the fuck do I want to overhead squat? It's not optimal for if I'm going to power lift. If I'm going to, if I'm going to Olympic lift, maybe. But even then, there's a lot of other stuff I'm going to do before I do that. Well, like, it's uh, just yeah. what you were just talking about with the application to sport. It's the same as 
applying it to human movement and what we do every day, walking, breathing. That's what we need to apply our things to. And it doesn't, I mean, and yes, being strong in tons of different positions, but overhead squat isn't really like my go-to, at least not my first selection. If it's anyone's first selection, I want to meet that person. And yeah, yeah, yeah. To, get, to get a person to overhead squat, especially somebody that doesn't have any background in those things, is gonna it's gonna take you forever. And it's well, like and it's still like it's depending. I guess it depends on who you're training and who your uh, population is. But if you're training, getting in position. Yeah, if you're training a gym pop client, if you're training a gym pop person, it's gonna take you months to get him to body weight overhead. Anyway, yeah, it's, it's gonna take you months to get him to squat once and. I'm like, okay, great. You got him to squat once overhead, but you could have done so many things differently and improved so many different qualities that are going to actually have a carrier. What you, Alina, said to everyday life that you're missing on. So it's the I same thing be- with, the, with the stretching. It's like, okay, great. You're going to get some tissue adaptations. You're going to get better at stretching. There is so many other things that you could be doing that you're going to, and where you're going to create adaptations much, much faster, and they're going to be much, much more applicable than your foam over. Yeah. Or why don't we set the standard at like moving in the frontal and transverse planes? Like, I don't really understand. FMS doesn't, I don't think they have anything in the frontal plane or transverse, do they? Nope. No, no not really. It's like, yeah, yeah. Even I thought this, the actual like things you look at, the points you look at for on FMS, they're not great. It's a very vague, yeah. it's, it's a very subjective test, no matter which way you cut it. Mm-hmm. Very, very subjective. And even I thought, it's originally designed, I believe, and I, I could be wrong, as a screen so that if someone does a, has a low score and you separate them into individual work at them. The problem, like a lot of things in fitness, is that it got bastardized. Like, look at BMI. What's your BMI? I fucking care what your BMI is. Yeah. yeah. BMI, that is a heart disease risk factor predictor. It has nothing to do with fucking obesity. It has nothing to do with anything else. And it was only designed to be a heart disease risk factor predictor in an untrained population. If you're trained, your BMI is literally fucking around. Yeah, my BMI tells me I, I'm obese since I was a gymnast that I'm like 15. Not obese, but like overweight or whatever. I was a gymnast. So yeah, I might have a little more muscle. I might weigh a little more, you know? So that's just one example. But there's so many people that it's the same. Yeah, I think I'm obese on my BMI as well. <laughs> you're obese, but like what? Six pack. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. The last time I saw a doctor, I stepped in the scale and he was like, oh, it looks like you're... And he got looked so confused for him. I was like, leave it alone. It's irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking move it. <laughs> That's great. So Boris and I were actually working both independent contractors in our the same facility and it was great to have somebody who could see movement the same with the same lens that I could see and also more experienced than me. So I would just like bother him with my questions. Yeah. I would always bother him with my questions. And now obviously we're yeah, much higher up. What, how tall are you? Me? Like six, four. Right. So I'm like four eleven. So, so you do train some athletes and you're, background on basketball just tell us a little bit about that and I mean I've seen you work so I know how you do things but it's definitely different than an average trainer so I want you to just expand on that so yeah like I said I went into PRI Ru introduced me to PRI because again purely selfish reasons I had a bunch of injuries well not significant injuries but the lower back injury was the one that got me to, to explore more of that yeah, like I said, so working with a PRI gave me a completely different lens. I was, you know, at first shocked and I was like, oh man, I'm, I've been doing everything wrong. <laughs> I've been 
you know, all of these things that I've been doing are completely wrong. And I'm actually feeling great considering how much of this I've been doing my entire life. But yeah, PRI got me open uh, certain doors for me. For example, me and Roy are actually working with IPA physical therapy team right now as we speak. And we have an amazing, amazing thing going on over there where you have, I don't know exactly how many of them there are, but there's physical therapies that do manual therapy and then as manual therapists so good amazing people and they're also looking at the people through pri lens with their own other modalities that they're using so they would do their manual therapy and when people are ready to move when we basically reprogram them how to move better and how to breathe better and that's actually been working really really nicely it's probably the best relationship I've ever had with uh, another discipline. The guys over there at IPA, like, there's no ego. There's just communication back and forward. Like, when I do my initial assessment, I'll send a summary of what I see, what my theories are, what my approach would be, and we just compare notes and go from there. It's, it's fantastic. I think we also actually have an optometrist and a dentist also in a team over there. I'm not 100% yeah, sure, but I yeah, I think that, uh, actually that theme is actually growing bigger. I don't know how deep we want to get into the, how much dentistry and optometry have to do with human movement, but I think Rua can expand way more on that. I think he has more experience with that, but yeah, all of those people work together and it's working really nicely. Yeah, so we had somebody, we had Casey Aiken on here, who she teaches for the Institute, and we talked yep. about dentistry with her, and then we had Neil also on here. So you can talk, you could talk a little bit about dentistry and optometry. It's very interesting. I'll talk about my own experience. Yeah. So Boris said he got into PRI because he had you know, selfish reasons initially. I think a lot of people who are really good at PRI got into it for exactly that reason. I got into it because I had a, a bunch of concussions, like five concussions, a cervical spine trauma that almost left me quadriplegic. I dislocated my right knee, my right shoulder, broke my ribs, I don't know how many times, screwed up my sciatic nerve, SI joint issues, patho neck, pathological ligament flexi in the hips, broken my knuckles a couple of times, broken, like breath broken everything. Listen, when you punch bricks, you're going to break a knuckle here and there. Well, you know, the funny thing is, Boris, pretty much almost none of those injuries are actually fighting because nobody laid hands on me. See, watch your mouth. <laughs> fighting with bricks. I'm not talking fighting people. I'm talking about bricks. The bricks, same thing. Like, I was like, number two, number three in the world, martial arts breaking at one point. That, it doesn't make a difference, Pete. If your hands are hard, you don't hurt your hands to break those oh, Just before he goes, let me just tell you this. So when Roar got, got employed in a crunch union square, right? So he had this thing where he would just like fist bump everybody. So you know how people normally fist bump? They give you a low, like a tap, you know, like high, like a friendly <laughs> thing. You know? It's like, that's what people do. Okay. Roar doesn't do that. Wu has this sharp edges of a fist where he gives you a fist. If you're not ready for it, and if you don't go, if you don't give it a little bit of strength, you're going to hurt. You're going to hurt for days. So at first, I'm like, all right, who is this Irish dude? I give him a fist bump, and next three days, my knuckle is hurting. I'm like, all right, this is not a high. This is like a little bit of a worse high than I thought it was going to be. So. Every time, every next time when we said hi, it had to be a much, much different experience. It's not my fault you guys all have soft hands. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, it's from basketball. hands. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, this is so funny. Yes, yeah. yeah, so I had all these concussions and stuff, and basically everyone who I saw was like, shrugged their shoulders, like, oh, I don't know, have they tried stretching? And I'm like, great, thanks, it's exactly fucking useless to me. Um, so I got into it, I did the primary, spent the whole way through. Probably kind of a, a really funny one. I have a picture of it somewhere. It's how fucking crooked my head used to be. 
like, and people don't go talk to this a lot. Like, I don't even talk a lot about the cervical stuff or, or dental work on my on my Instagram page or social media stuff because I'm very reticent to put anything up there because people will fuck it up entirely and make things worse. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, if you, if you go not a lot of audience for that stuff also. Yeah. Say again? I said there's not a lot of audience for that stuff also. I feel no. like the cervical stuff and cranial stuff and dentists is really complicated. And it's it's quite specific, yeah. But typically when somebody has had a concussion, you're going to see a couple of landmarks. You'll see like a, or whiplash injury, very similar issues. You're going to see a jawline that sits to the right. You're going to see a left eye that's significantly narrower as well. You might see a left cheek that's a little rotated. You're going to have a crooked fucking head. And I you know, look at fucking Gary Busey out here. I get fucking terrible. It's absolutely asymmetric head. But um, it took me quite some time to kind of get around that. Actually, now I, I've started working recently with the Concussion Alliance on trying to help them with some, with some other stuff. I did a talk with them recently too on, on treatment and how most concussion treatment revolves around neck, head. But if you guys have looked into it or seen any of the videos, you guys know that it's very hard to keep a neck in a, in a variable position to access a full range of motion. So we have a rib cage that's, that's constantly malpositioning that neck in the first place. So if I go to someone with concussion with whiplash injury, with any major head injury going on at all, I have to make sure that things further downstream also support the change and try to get upstream. Yeah. That's a big one. And that's honestly, it took me a while. But I, I go through the course and people look at me and go, ah, we're not ready to talk about that with you yet. So I have to go the whole way through basically until the end and I'm going to go pretty much treat myself. Wow. So did you do dental work yourself to help reposition yourself? Yep. I go what's called a, a molar, molar mandibular occlusal orthotic. So it's basically a, for all intents and purposes, it's a specific mouth guard that gives you a molar reference on the left side, um, which allows you to create the cant and the relationship between the maxilla and the mandible, and then allows you to, to, uh, to facilitate the appropriate lateral pterygoid action to inhibit SEM, that sort of stuff, masseters that are overactive. But honestly, what was even more impressive to me than that well, I really drove home the fact that appropriate sensation allows freedom and the, the movement capabilities are neurological, not mechanical. I don't fucking care how much you want to stretch something. You really actually have to unless you're trying to go to super normal levels of physiological flexibility like gymnasts, martial arts, dancers, etc. For normal people, their limitations are neurological full stop. If, you, if they orgasm, they're more mobile, more flexible. If they're under anesthesia, they're more mobile, more flexible. If they're really drunk or drugged up, they're more mobile, more flexible. Yeah. If they needed to stretch all the time, that would not be the case. They, they, those are not mechanical limitations. So when I was in the cervical course, actually Ron Horuska, the head of PR I was teaching, he was just illustrating something. So he made this, he this little mouth guard. He goes, okay, put this in, and we do some standing cervical repositioning. Possibly one of the most fucking ridiculous experiences of my life. I'm standing here for like 40 people going, sure, he's going to fix my head. Okay, Ron. And all of a sudden, I'm like, my vision starts changing. My peripherals start to widen. And I'm like, it feels like the whole fucking room is getting longer and wider. Like this is like, do you guys remember the original Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Yes, I know what you're know, talking about. You know, yeah, you know the fucking the, the room that goes down. Yes. The That's what it felt like it happened. Uh. And then he's like, well, can you just take a walk down, down to the other side of the room? I'm like, sure. As soon as I walk, I get the biggest flood of emotion I've ever had in my entire life. I'm sure you guys are aware of the fact that concussions affect both cognitive and emotional processing. Yeah. Uh, I was acutely aware for years that I had very bad emotional processing. I was very good at being angry, which is very helpful as a competitive fighter, but I knew I had death in some other areas. It felt like all of that year's worth came back all at once, and in front of 40 people, I, I was doing my best just to not start bawling fucking crying. 
So like walking down the other side of the room, I have this big emotion, emotional rush. My, my recollection and my cognition are better again now than they were. And Ron's a kid, feel like, I'm fine. Yes, you were dance. I'm feeling a little better. That's, mm -hmm, sure. Let me sit down, please. So that was a big thing, like for me, um, cognitively especially, because I used to be very, very astute and very, very sharp. And a couple of concussions in, my memory wasn't what it should have been. My cognition wasn't as good as it should have been. My processing of almost anything wasn't what it should have been. And that, that to me is so much bigger than getting someone fucking lean. Like any trainer worth their salt can get somebody to, you know, okay, we're going to lose 10 pounds. I'm not saying 10 pounds is easy. It's simple, but not easy. You know, weight loss is, is not easy, but it is simple. But yeah. getting someone from a state where they're not happy chronically, where they are in pain chronically, where they can't do the activities that they want, where they can't enjoy life with their family, where they, they don't see hope because nobody can help them. That gets me out of everyone. That makes me yeah. happy. When I look at a person who's in chronic fucking pain, they go, hey, I kind of forgot I used to have pain. I'm like, great, job fucking done. That to me is better than going, okay, we gained a half inch of your arms. Yeah. Yeah, just to piggyback, we actually had, we were really lucky to see Ron work on the most complicated cases we had at the IPA physical therapy and just looking at him working with these people, the way he talks to them, just the stuff outside of table testing and, and yeah. stuff that we do every day, like his interactions with, with the clients get you so much better as a coach. So like that was a really cool experience seeing him work with it. And these are the top, the top chronically messed up, you know, people, people that have problems that are so stuck with them and yeah. he worked looking yeah seeing him work with them was an amazing experience yeah when we're kind of working around there we're usually dealing with either very 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 deep into dysfunction people or unicorns yeah, yeah. like you know unique cases you're not going to see again I, i've had the pleasure and boris has been there a couple of times i've had the pleasure of working with ron and brad dean the guys at ipa on that as part of a multidisciplinary team boris mentioned earlier we also work with uh Danielle Rutner over at SUNY occasionally uh, for optometry because there's very specific needs that some of our people have. I've worked with in the Hindu Restorative Center in Bawa, New Jersey. Yeah. He's, uh, upstate, he's like upstate New York. He's great. He's so good. He's such a genuine, funny, caring guy, but he's also a phenomenal dentist. I always tell my people, like, listen to Harry because our uh, Jeffrey, his son, is fantastic as well. And they had this setup, it was amazing, by the way. They were studying me for my MMO warm and they were more close orthotic. And by the way, I love that it's called an orthotic because it is an orthotic the same way you spoke goes in your shoes. Mm -hmm. It's an orthosis. But when they were fitting me for that, they basically had me set up this incredibly complex, I believe they had a copyrighted, incredibly complex HRV setup. It's real-time HRV. And what they're doing is they're adjusting my orthotic to actually sync up with the optimal HRV in real time. That's oh, wild. At the same time, I'm here doing like HGIR tests and horizontal humeral abduction tests. And then like, I'm seeing it all happen in real time via biofeedback. Super fantastic, but also beautiful objective feedback. And that kind of brings us to another thing. Again, I'm always a little reticent to talk about in social media. I know Boris, we've talked about it a ton. And I just touched on a minute ago. There are neurological implications to physiological positions. And fitness people don't seem to understand that for the most part. So they're like, so what if I want to have you squat with a big arch? I'm like, you don't understand, most of them don't understand what's doing to a diaphragm and what that's doing to a brain, to circulating cortisol, to sympathetics versus parasympathetics. That person's ability to rest, digest, grow. Yeah. 
process anything, not be hypervigilant. Yeah, that's a big thing. What you're just touching on now is how much, how many other systems it can affect. It's like you just think you're having somebody snatch and that, okay, yeah, that's an athletic movement. And <laughs> what that can actually do to somebody, especially long term. You guys know I love picking fights online. <laughs> you do. I, like, I search up just for fun. But like sometimes I talk about things and people are like, well, you think doing exercises can change muscular activity chronically? Like that. How the fuck is that a question? <laughs> how are you asking me if strengthening muscles can change how muscle acts chronically? It's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard. Of course it can. Like that's the whole basis of what we do. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, logic is cheating. Talk a little bit about shoes. Whoever wants to touch on it, what you think about shoes, barefoot versus there's, you know, a lot of people have different opinions. Um, you wear the crops, you should be summarily executed. Crocs? <laughs> yeah, just because they're so fucking ugly. I wear them because my boyfriend got me some that are fuzzy and they're nice to slip on. Easier than tennis. Your boyfriend is and, I, and I train barefoot. I would agree that they're super ugly, but I train barefoot, so it's the easiest thing to slip on, slip off. Because yeah, okay. I'm not going to drive to the gym barefoot because that's ill-advised. So. Why? Yeah. I've done that. <laughs> I used to get yelled at when I was little because I would literally drive barefoot. I would. And my dad was like, what if you get stuck? You're going to be stuck in the middle of nowhere because I grew up in the middle of nowhere and I would be barefoot. So I wear my Crocs. Yeah, anyway. we used to, we used to, the, Do continue. The, I agree that they are. <laughs> yeah, we used to train at the, at the lab where we trained, Leah. You know, we, we were always barefoot. Though, yeah. I mean, it, it's a much more reference. And when you're, when you're training, it's all about references. Yeah, you know, it's, it's also nice because like we fucking if, if if I lose an heart, if I lose contact, he won't have any way with it. It's very hard to see that in shoes. Yeah, you can't see what's happening with the foot, and I mean, if you don't see the foot, what's the point of the entire training? Then it's like everything starts there. Like cool, you don't see a foot, you're guessing, and you're guessing the one of the most complicated parts of your body. Come on, you know. Yeah, so. I put a post with that yesterday. I was just going to say, I mean, you guys are still kind of getting into it, but I have a new client who she's actually a firefighter or she's training for the fire Academy. And like, she is, I don't know if you're familiar with strong first. Yeah. So I'm a strong first SFG and she also is, and she's doing her working on her barbell. I believe, are you, I am, are you, are you bars? Hmm? Are you SFG? I have mine. No, I haven't. I haven't yeah. done the SFG. Yeah. That honestly I mean, before I did Katie's Empower Performance, that was the single best certification continuing ed I've ever done just because the principles are simple and like it really is transferable, even though I guess not all of the movements are necessarily like applicable to like, you know, walking and breathing and all that. But I love Strong First. I think they're great. Anyway, she obviously for her job, she has to wear these like massive boots so her feet don't burn, right? So yeah. she has a lot of pr trouble. She's told me like the reason that she's seeking me out is because she wants to work on kind of more like she does strength training stuff. She needs a little bit of help with coaching on like form, things like that. But she wanted sort of some like correctives to help mitigate, you know, the pain that she's going to have after training always barefoot because that's how she learned with strong first. And then going to wearing like, I mean, obviously you're in awkward positions with firefighting and like being strong is helpful. But also if you're going from being able to sense the ground to not, I have noticed myself after training barefoot that like wearing shoes, I'm like, eh. Like, I hate this. I can't feel the ground. It's weird, you know? So do you have any suggestions or have you worked with people that have similar situations yep. to that? 
We'll put tons of people with similar ideas. A lot of dancers have to dance in point shoes, that sort of stuff, same idea. I just want yeah. to take a second and say I fucking hate the, I hate the phrase correctness. I know it's so, it's so like it's so popular in, in our industry, but I always think if someone has a if someone has an issue, I'm not going to take a single exercise. It needs to be systematic. They say this is something that you're lacking in your movement ability, so we need to integrate this into other things that you do. And this is again comes back to how people misapply care all the time. People do like in 1990 and then go squat and go, oh, my knee still hurts. Oh yeah, because you still squat like an asshole. <laughs> Like, you did a movement that gave you exactly what you need to do, then went back to doing exactly what you do, always do, which got you hurt in the first place. Right. You know what I mean? It's the definition of fucking insanity. You're repeating the same experiment over and over again. But the pervasive idea of a single drill as opposed to a system of principles that will change your nerves can save me. And admittedly, low load, like low volume activity, and expecting that to counteract a high load, high volume, high frequency activity you've done for 10 years or 20 years. It's fucking insane when you say it like that. Yeah. So someone with that, exactly that issue, Megan, I, I deal with a ton of like, dancers, bottom uh, dancers, and a bunch of Broadway dancers as well. And I tell them, hey, what we're going to have to do is, first of all, I'm probably going to ban them from stretching for a while, especially the dancers. That may not be applicable in the firefighter's case. But what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to teach them how to find the, the appropriate foot references. That's going to be a quadrupedal model. We're going to have a lateral heel reference, a kind of a knee long to arch, lateral long to arch, a transverse arch. Right, so you have those three arches. It's going to have a, a point of contact at the fifth ray, the first ray, the lateral heel, and the big toe itself. And if they can do that and bear load on that in simple context, whether it's 1990 on the wall, then it might tra- transfer them to a sideline position, to an all four position with the foot against the wall, to a half knee position, to a standing position. So I might do different routes with the, uh, with the context that it progressed. And if they can keep it there, then they get the load. And then when they have the ability to load that and maintain that pattern under stress. Now we have a pattern that's accessible to the ready. Whereas if you just do a movement that gets them clear on a table test, I don't fucking care about a table test after I've done an intervention, other than for controlling what I'm doing right. What I care about is your table test when you walk in three months after you started working together. Are they improving? Are you neutral across the board? Because like I have clients going like, hey, you can't wear high heels for the next couple of weeks, possibly the next couple of months. But I'm like, I'm not taking them away from you but you have to earn the right to wear them whatever the hell you want. And that means you, got, you have to have, and you guys, yeah, I've posted about this before too, four stages of competence, unconscious incompetence. And in terms of moving, this really applies to any skill acquisition. I move like shit, I'm not really aware of it. That's 99% of people. Conscious incompetence. I know I'm not supposed to move like this, but I still move like shit. Uh, conscious competence. If I concentrate, I can move well, I can do this fast well. Unconscious competence. When we get through the unconscious competence, we can now progress to the next phase next context or further along. If any of those things break down the meantime, I'm going to regress. And people get real pissed off because they're like, well, my old trainer let me squat on day three. I'm like, you're not still training with them, are you? Run into that too. <laughs> Very true. People get frustrated with regressing, but sometimes regressing is all you need. I mean, after my <laughs> Olympic weightlifting career, I stopped doing Olympic weightlifting and it was like, I felt like I, first of all, couldn't feel anything appropriately. And then I regressed everything. I feel like I started from scratch and now you like slowly have to build and half the time you have to go back. Yep. I was up to squat at 550 at 180 for reps when I decided, oh shit, my knees hurt, my low back hurts. Maybe this is not the long-term play. And now I can like throw out 500 astagraphs for reps for half the fucking day. Doesn't particularly bother me. I can like, oh, trap bar over here last year at bar like 660. Something like that. Wow. It was crazy. Like, 
But I, I think I started from scratch on all of my lifts three or four times. Yeah. But the problem is most people, we live in a, a society where everything's, you know, convenient, the one now. So shit, nothing worth having, doing, no skill that you give a shit about, there's going to be an instant learn. Yeah. It's not a video game where you can just put the matrix, you can fucking upload the skill. It takes practice. I think for us, setting that expectation day one, hey, we will do all the things that you want to do, but we're going to take time to do them well before we do them heavily. That's a big thing, and our industry fucks it up all the time. Yeah. What do you think about co-contractions? There's a lot on the internet about co-contractions. Either one of you can answer. Just having, let's say you're doing it for the lower body, being elevated floating heel type situation where the heel is elevated, you're on the ball of your foot, your knee might be bent, and you're doing a type of movement there where you're feeling hamstring, calf, maybe quad, all contracting at the same time. Do you apply that? And No. Okay, so I've why? Never once. I've never felt the need to. Never moved to. But I know exactly who you're talking about. He's great. He does great work. I don't necessarily agree with all the stuff that he does. But I'm sure if we had a conversation, we'd agree on 95%. For me, like, for example, using a hamstring and a calf, the hamstring acts as a weak door flexor, the calf and the plantar flexor. I can give anyone I want a fucking cramp on their hamstring or the calf, again, the two contract both at the same time. I think that co-contractions are important, and there are certain people who probably do need to do them. But I also think that we're giving somebody a lot of time to that they already have a lot of, and give them a little bit of what they need right. in that context. So I'm going to focus more on what people don't have, rather than what they, you know, balancing what they do have, what they don't have. Who is it? Like, I guess the context really matters, and then it's always going to come up, come down to that. If a person really needs that, then I guess you're going to focus on it. But if you decide that whatever, you, you do your table test, and you, you get your results from a table test, and you decide to go with, okay, I need a heel reference, and I need a big toe reference, or whatever you decide on, and it works, is like, there is no point in changing that, in my opinion. Yeah. Correct. I'm not saying there's no value to it. I'm just saying I've never had the need for it. Yeah. I have a question, just backtracking, because I want to make sure I heard correctly and that I understand, because I don't, if I did hear correctly. Did you say the hamstring is a dorsiflexor? Yes. Okay, how? Yeah. Can you explain that? Because I don't understand. Absolutely. If you're in a closed chain and you try to do a leg curl, where's your knee go? My knee goes closed chain, try to do a leg curl forwards? There you go. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. You flex your foot. Got it. So relative because the knee is going forward, so the shin angle. Ah, yeah. oh, that's interesting. Okay. Cool. Thanks. That's a good that's way to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Me and Will have been talking about that. It's actually your strongest dorsiflexor. People are focusing on on PBL internal rotation and getting a dorsiflexion from wherever, but you, this is a massive, massive muscle. That you don't utilize it and use it for this thing. I think you're, gonna miss, you're missing on a big part. I dare play it a lot because people get very, very confused and very, very in their feelings about it. So I'm like, hey, the hamstring is a dorsal flexor. And I was like, if you squat and you're not doing a similar squat, if you're squatting with a seat that are relatively parallel or shoulder width, yeah. the hamstring is your fucking, it's how you're dorsal flexing. Mm-hmm. If you're keeping a lateral heel reference, you're bending a knee, what, what else can fucking pull that goddamn shin forward? Like, yeah, yeah. That yeah. makes sense. Totally, yeah, it does. There are people out there who are saying, I'm not going to name names again. I don't agree with 95 percent of the post, but it sounds kind of smart. It's posted up recently that you can't use hamstring in the squat. It's one of the stupidest fucking things I've ever heard in my life. So could that potentially explain, I mean, if people have, I know a lot of people have, you know, insufficient hamstrings, not 
not really as a knee flexor, but more so as like a hip extensor or like a posterior pelvic tilter, I suppose. But would that explain that why people's shins, like their anterior tib gets like, basically they get on fire there because they can't use the hamstring to do the dorsiflexion. Or even with in a 90-90, people will feel their shins working. And I'm like, "Mm." I I think with the shins working, they can absolutely, that can also be an improper contact with the foot of the floor. Yeah. They're looking for more help via compensation there. Yeah, a lot of the time I have people do 99, they come back and say, okay, I'm machine a little bit sore today. I'm like, I'm not sad about that. Yeah. You probably haven't been in a position of significant dorsiflexion for a long time. Yeah. And having people do small squats and wide stance squats and have your feet turn out in external rotation, yeah. it's not fucking helping that. You're just giving them no dorsiflexion ever. Yeah, let's talk about let's talk about the sumo yeah. sumo deadlift sumo squat the love to that. What we all love to rant about that. Megan just did a rant about it recently. So I did, and I'm glad everybody else is ranting too. I'm gonna put the caveat out there: if you're a powerlifter, I don't fucking care what you do. Yeah, no, well, of course like, not. Yeah. It's, it's, it's win, less range of motion. Yeah, yep. absolutely. But if you're it. trying to, if you're trying to, for example, grow your ass, should you be sumo so squatting? I think my butt is bigger now, not going to lie. I was an Olympic weightlifter for three years, and I squatted double body weight. My butt's bigger now. I haven't squatted. Because you only use your quads. At that point. (laughs) And your tendons. Yeah. And ligaments. And now. And your SI joints. And your SI joints. Oh, my SI joints. Your SI joints, real nicely. But let's talk about this in context. This is also going to bring back something like, I don't like being told to squeeze a muscle in general. So I'm talking about squeezing your glutes. We're talking about yeah. the external rotation fibers, the transverse activity fibers of the glutes. Mm-hmm. Like that's all well and good. That's not what I want to do is top of fucking squat. But not really. And if you guys see my, my last post, external rotation of femur is synonymous with decompression of the thorax. So anterior decompression of the thorax is posterior compression, which is vertebral compression. So if you like compressing the fuck out of your vertebrae, feel free to squeeze your glutes and do as much similar work as you want. If you want to be a human being whose spine is still in a nice fucking shape, or who actually can move left to right and is not stuck in chronic decompression, maybe fucking don't. We want the, the inferior glute max, or I call them the butt crack glutes, <laughs> like a, a vertical stripe, you know. They, they help with posteriorly tucking the pelvis, extending the hip. Those are about what you want, but we don't have to go after those. If you get appropriate foot contact, you don't have any choice but to use those near the top range motion. Yeah. But that requires actually learning shit and taking time. Well, what drives me nuts, so I work in a physical therapy clinic right now. And just like, I mean, I think it's probably common knowledge that general PT, what people would expect to do as a glute exercise would be like a clamshell, for example. Also like a bridge, which is all well and good, but it's such a short range of motion and it doesn't, it really involve the lengthened state of the glutes like at all. You're really kind of starting at mid, almost mid end range and then just squeezing it. So you feel them, which there's a value in that for sure. sure. if you can't feel them in like a lengthened like single leg deadlift or like a what's called like a hip shift now, I guess that's a popular term for it. But like to me, that's a single leg deadlift, like you're shifting into your hip. But I just I see that butchered all the time in the clinic, and I'm like, we're not helping these people at all. What you just said is is kind of interesting in and of itself. Like we have people who've been prescribed clamshells with a hip bridge. Those are two completely different functions of a glute. Yeah. One is external rotation, which can help us to lateralize the other side or explode. Mm-hmm. And the other is helping us get pressed and getting stacks. Those yeah. two fucking things are very rarely going to be necessary for the same patient. Yeah. On the same also, side. If, we, if we're talking about, yeah, if we're talking about patients, if we're talking about regular people, like I don't really think they need bilateral glute 
you know, bilateral yeah. compression. You need to be integrating. Right. You need to be switching from side to side, compressing, yeah. decompressing. It's like that's not going to have any carryover. And you might need one totally. thing on one side and something else on the other. And that's something exactly. that people forget. Yeah. 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 I might see if hip is helpful to someone on the left and a clamshell on the right. Now, hip is never going to be my only go to, but it's a good example of a nice compressive movement if you do it well. A clamshell is going to be a decompressive movement on that side. Yeah. But I've never seen someone do both those things on the same fucking side. It's very casual too. Yeah. Because they're basically fighting against each other in terms of function. And almost everybody you've talked to feels differently from one side to the other. So then you go and these people go to their trainer and then they do a bilateral movement. And to me, it makes no sense. They go to their physical therapist and they're prescribed a bilateral movement. And maybe they need something on the right side and something different on the left side. You know what you always get from the trainers? Well, everybody's body is different. Get the fuck out of here with that ambiguous, guruistic bullshit. Everybody's body is different, but they're not that different. Are you a fucking human? Great. Then let's see, let's, let's get some objective data before we have any interventions whatsoever. I don't give a yep. fuck what your chakras look like. like, I'm like sorry, I'm going to pick on yogis for a second here. We picked on physical therapists. We picked on trainers. Yeah, Let's pick on everyone. Let's, let's pick on everyone. Yeah. You, you can fight them. We'll I'll fight them. them. <laughs> no, for me, it's like, I'm not trying to pick on any particular profession. I'm just saying, saying what I see most in terms of issues with professions. I would right. say every profession in the world has, you know, five to ten percent of people who are great. And then after that, it's a breakdown. Who's decent? Who's possible? Who's fucking garbage? Yoga, especially in New York City. I mean, I know I'm going to get attacked this later. I'm doing yoga certification at the moment, but I just for funsies. And I love Ashtanga yoga. Those are my qualifiers. But they love speaking in, in these like guruisms and like, oh, you know, what it is, you open up your hips and like according to your objective data. No, you just prescribe the same shit to everybody you fucking see and say, oh, it's open up your hips. I have very rarely seen a yogi that doesn't need to fucking close their hips. Yeah. Like, that does feel like opening it, and even the, the language they use, grounding yourself. Like, I'm not talking about Mother Earth or Gaia going and hugging a fucking tree. I'm talking about feeling gravity, feeling a heel, feeling compression. That's grounding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not like going and licking a flower. I don't fucking care about that. <laughs> like, guess oh, what? Oh, nice. <laughs> I know, I have so much rage. Lick all the flowers <laughs> up. Yeah. Oh, Imagine what it was like before it resolved the concussive issues. That's a bad person. Oh, my God. <laughs> this has been super entertaining and really has brightened my Sunday. It's a little rainy here. <laughs> we have one more question we want to ask each of you and whoever wants to go first can go first. But what is something that you personally do every day to move your brain, move your body or both? Boris? Every day? Well, it can be cool. every day, every other day, whatever well, you want. Here's the Routinely. thing. Like, yeah, until like a week ago, I had a, a really good setup schedule. You know, everything was great. And then a week ago, the Croatia completely shut down. So there is no structure to my day anymore. Now I have to improvise. Now I have to find ways how to just train if there is any way. But it's a good question. So move my brain. I'm actually reading. We talked about it a little bit. I'm reading a book called Jaws. Uh, it's not the sharks. Not the sharks. Yeah, talking about how the soft food that we're eating is actually narrowing our jaws and creating issues with the breathing and basically your posture overall. It's an amazing book. I come like halfway halfway through it, so I can give you more on it when I finish it. Yeah. We already talked about it a little bit today, but it's really, really interesting stuff. Cool. That's great. if If you lose contact with your teeth in the back, yeah. It's almost like you're losing the, the heel contact when you're doing exercises and stuff like that. So it, it kind of relates back. But moving my body, well, 
I'm trying just to find, like I said, I'm just trying to find a ways to train right now. The only thing that I have is monkey bars in the park. That's it. You know, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Rua, what do you do every day, every other day to move your brain, move your body? I'd love to say that I'm a creature of habit, but I'm not. <laughs> I work in incredible spurts and then do nothing for a while. I do read, I read something every single day. That could wildly vary between five pages or 200 pages. It just depends on how I feel. I go through a phase where I'll read a book a day. And I go through another phase where I'll like read three pages of, the, of a book. <laughs> at the same time, the book of the guy is not what care right now. The only thing I read there every day at the moment is take care of Boris's cat because he's supposed to come back in September. thank you that's amazing well how can people find you if they want either to do a session with you because you both are amazing and i know our listeners are going to be interested in just finding out more about you so what's your instagram and maybe your website or email whatever you have and we'll link everything in the show notes so they could just click it uh, I feel like the easiest way is just Instagram, Chris, it's fitness. That kind of handle started a long time ago as a joke and stayed as a joke until now. Like I didn't really invest a lot of time in, in Instagram and, and marketing myself. But yeah, the easiest way to reach me is through that. You just message me over there. Perfect. Pretty much. Instagram for me as well, the biomechanist. I prefer if nobody came to it because I hate everybody because I'm a massive person. Rue likes to pick fights on his Instagram with powerlifters. <laughs> No, not powerlifters. With dumb powerlifters. Yes. True. Powerlifters who don't think everybody should do powerlifting for every single malady, I'm fine with them. They're cool. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on our show. We loved having you. Thanks for having us. Thank you, guys. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Move Your Brain, Move Your Body podcast. Join in every week as we release new episodes. Subscribe or leave us a rating at Apple Podcasts. If you have questions or topics to cover, please email moveyourbb at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at moveyourbb.